And Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, so that the land could not support both of them together. For their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. At that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. Then Abram said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zoar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. The Lord said to Abram after Lot had separated from him, Lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord. The word of the Lord. Amen. Amen. You may be seated, except if you're a kid, you're invited to come forward and take a seat here. My favorite Sundays are the Sundays when the ki- I get to have the kids up here with me. Okay, here come some kids, all different ages. This is great. Okay, so kids, as you're coming up, I need you to be thinking about something. So this is a game I've played with the elementary students a lot. Um, and if you're younger, you may just have to follow whatever your brother or sister does or, or just try and follow along as best you can. We play a game called Would You Rather? And some of you, you said, yeah, some of the elementary students are nodding because we've done this before. We're going to do a, a few fun Would You Rathers, and here's how it's going to work. I'm going to give two different options for a Would You Rather, and if you pick one side, I'm going to ask you to go to one side of the room, and if you pick the other Would You Rather, I'm going to ask you to go to the other side of the room, and we'll see how many people, how many of the kids pick each one of the options, okay? So some of you catechism kids, you, you're going to recognize some of these Would You Rathers because I did them with you guys, okay? So here's a question. Would you rather watch a movie that's so scary that you can't sleep that night? Or would you rather watch a movie that's so boring that you fall asleep while you're watching it? Okay, oh, let me say those two options again. Would you rather watch a movie that's so scary that you can't sleep that night? Or watch a movie that's so boring that you fall asleep while you're watching it? So if you'd rather watch the scary movie, I want you to go over to that side. And if you want to watch the boring movie, come over to this side. Okay. Okay. And if you're not sure what to do, you can just stay in your seat. That's fine, too. That's fine, too. Okay, we got... All right. So we got more, of the, we got more people in Camp Boring. Okay. Very good. So normally when I play this with the kids, I ask them to uh, give me reasons why, and then they have to try and convince me to be on one side or the other. 
Um, so I'm gonna. I, I, so here's the thing, guys. I, we don't have time for you to give me your long, windy explanations of all the different hypotheticals and stuff. But I'll, I'll listen to like one quick sentence from one person. I think Evan should put his hand first. Why should I do the boring movie? Well, if you watch the boring movie and you fall asleep, one, you won't lose sleep, and two, um, I that's actually a really good point. <laughs> you won't lose sleep. Scary movie, you could have nightmares later. These are really good points. All right, and now I'm going to, okay, Charlie for uh, one point on this side, for the scary movie. Keep it, keep it brief. Okay, okay, so Charlie's saying that he's, he's fine. This is, a, this is how loopholes are found in the Would You Rather every time. You can pause it and reassure yourself as you're going. So, I, yeah, I think I, Evan's, the point that Evan had that would have convinced me was the sleeping part. So that, that, was, that was really good. Okay, another one. Would you rather, I, oh, guys, I'm sorry, I can't call on you, you all. I'll call on, I'll, if you raise your hand for the next one, I'll, I'll try to call on you. Would you rather be stuck in a tiny room? Like imagine your bedroom, but even smaller. Would you rather be stuck in a tiny room for one hour with a rabbit squirrel or, or a skunk? Rabbit squirrel over here, skunk over here. Oh, if you're in a tiny room, it's going to be hard not to scare that skunk. Skunk over here, squirrel over here. Rabbit, squirrel, or the skunk? See, all the, all, the, all the hypotheticals are being talked out up here. Oh, my. A rabbit squirrel? Well, the, everyone is, well, maybe it should be a rabbit squirrel, so that way I can be on their side. All right, okay, so Team Skunk. Um, I think I'm going to call on Titus for the one, the one representative. The squirrels are scary. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Very good. And, and all right. All right. Adrian for team team squirrel. Because skunks are stinky. I'm gonna side with this guy with this side over here because skunks are. I'm sure you guys have some great points. All right. We're gonna do one more. We're gonna do one more. Yes, you're right. It would it would be it would be nervous. It would make you nervous. Okay. Last one. I want you guys to imagine that you and you have a brother or sister, imagine that you share a room. And how many of you do actually share a room with a brother or sister? A lot of us, I bet. A lot of us share a room with a brother or sister. Okay, okay, listen up. So I want you to imagine that you share a room with your brother and sister, and the room's really small, and you're fighting all the time, which I'm sure doesn't describe any of you. Your parents, imagine your parents are in your home, they build a new floor onto the house. So there's a new bedroom that's big, and it's got a TV, it's got toys, it's got video games. Here's a question. Would you rather, would you rather pick first before your, before your brother or sister who gets to be in the new bedroom upstairs? Would you rather have first pick? Or would you rather let your brother or sister have first pick? Okay. 
Okay, okay. All right. Okay, so who? So the folks who would who would uh, who would take first pick? Why? Uh, yes, Elliot. Why would you take first pick? Okay, Adrian's bigger than you. It's a good good point. Okay, uh, and Maisie, why would you let your brother or sister pick first? You want them to be happy. You don't want to be selfish. Okay. All right, guys. So let's sit back. Let's let's all come back. Sit back and know you guys did a great job. So if you guys are paying attention to the story we just read about Abram and Lot. Lot is Abram's nephew. He's his, his brother's son. Basically, this same thing happens to them, right? So what happens before this passage is they Abram and Lot they come out very wealthy. Hi, Reed. They come out of Egypt very wealthy. They have lots of herds and gold and silver and tents, all kinds of things. And they, there's so many, there's so many people, and so much, they have so much stuff. They start to fight, and Abram, Abram looks at Lot, and he's like, "Hey, let's separate." And like the sibling who gets to pick the first floor, Abram, instead of saying, "I'll take the best land for myself," he says, "Hey, Lot, you can pick first. You can pick the room upstairs first if you want." And Lot looks, and he finds the most beautiful, well-watered, rich land ever. And he goes and he takes that first. So Abram, even though Abram was older than Lot, it's like being like the older brother in some ways. Even though he was the more the, he was he was yeah he's older, he was the one who ended up with less than Lot. He gave him he. Do you guys? Here's a question. So some of you guys have started to study. Uh, some of the elementary students have started to study Abram. Do you guys remember some of the promises that God makes to Abram, later called Abraham? What are some things that God promises to him? Yeah, Charlie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he makes a covenant with with Abraham. Yeah. They'll paint the people, descendants. Yes. Yeah, very good. So he, God promises that Abraham will have, he'll have many descendants. Does anyone remember any other promises he makes to Abraham? Elliot, do you remember? Kind of. No, well, kind of, he doesn't know. Uh, he promises land to him as well. He promises land. And Abram seems to give up both of these promises, right? When he gives the things to Lot. Lot is the closest thing he has to his son. He lets him go. And he gives Lot the, pick of the, first, the first pick of the land. And, Ab- and Abram ends up, after giving up so much, God reassures him. God, he, he tells him, it's going to be okay. Even though it seems like you've just given up the very things that I promised to you, you're still going to get them. You'll still have the offspring that are as many as the dust of the earth, like Charlie said, like the sand. You're still going to have this land all around you. And Abram ends by building an altar. And Abram is the example of faith in the, in the Bible. Uh, the great example of faith as we look throughout the Bible. And faith is living God's way. It's believing that God's words are true, that God's promises are true, even when it looks like it's not going to be worth it. Like Abram gives up the things that God was promising. It seems like he risks them, but he still believe, because he still believes that God's ways are true instead of trying to force things to go a certain way. So here's a question for you guys. Faith, living God's way, even when it looks like it, there's an easier, easier way to go. Do you guys know, what are some ways that Jesus lived in God's way? Lived God's way. Yeah, Evan. Yeah. 
Yeah, so he, well, one way that, that Jesus could have taken the easy way when he was being crucified is he could have just come down from the cross, right? People were actually shouting that at, at him, like, if, you were, if you're who you say you are, why don't you come down? All right, and uh, Titus, you want to give us a way that Jesus lived in God's way, lived, followed God's way, yeah. 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 That's a really good example. That's a really good example, Titus. Titus, Titus is saying that in, when Jesus was being tempted in the desert, he could have taken the easy way. He could have taken Satan's way, uh, which Satan is offering all the things that are promised to be given to Jesus one day. Satan offers him... Uh, to be king of the whole world, offers to, to turn, you know, like things to be turned into, you know, he's, he makes, tries to make them turn rocks into bread. Uh, but Jesus resists the, the easy way and instead takes God's way. Those are great examples. What are some ways, I was thinking of, I was trying to think about kids, some ways that it's hard for us to live God's way, to live lives of faith. All right, MJ. I'll let you share one. I'll share the ones I thought of for you guys. Here, let me help you. Here, here's one. Uh, how about sharing things? Sharing things with our brothers and sisters. That's really hard. That's really hard. Because sometimes our brothers and sisters, like, yank stuff out of our hands. And our, the report is a toy that's really precious to us, and we don't want to share it. You know, sometimes it's hard to say kind things to our brothers and sisters. Sometimes it's hard to, like, we know we're supposed to love one another. We know Jesus calls us to that. Here's a hard one, guys. Hard way to follow God's way. Honoring our mom and dad. Yeah, like sometimes our mom and dad are like, they have rules that don't make sense, or they can be mean. Sometimes it's really hard to, to follow, or our teachers. Sometimes it's hard to follow God's way, right? But remember, like with Abram, God promises that all the ways that we follow God, that even though they're hard, they'll eventually be worth it. So I'd encourage you guys as you go back to be with your, your parents, your grown-ups, whoever's watching you today, maybe your grandparents are watching you, whatever. I'd encourage you to ask them this question. Hey, hey, mom, hey, dad, hey, 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 folks, what are some ways it's hard for you to live in God's way? How is it hard for you to have faith? And I would encourage you, after they give you your answer, to tell them, Hey, it'll all be worth it, though, just like it was for Abram. One day, one day, you know what the Bible says one day? I said this in my prayer earlier. One day, the Bible says, at the end of all things, we'll have, we'll, we'll have a city. God will bring a city down from heaven, and it'll be, it'll be ours. Jesus will be the king of the city. And all the things that we have to do for Jesus that are hard, that don't feel natural, that's the thing we want to do, one day, it'll all be worth it. So I'd encourage you guys to, to tell your parents that when they tell you the things that are hard about following Jesus. So let me say a prayer for you guys. Father, I thank you for each of these kids. I thank you that they're at our church. And uh, I ask that you would bless them today. And bless the preaching of your word as I go back up to the big stage. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Good job, guys. You guys did a great job paying attention. Well done. The, uh, 
I didn't think about how rabid sounds like rabbit, rabbit squirrel. <laughs> Notes for future times. Um, I want you to imagine that you've been looking hard for a job. You've gone through a season of your life where uh, you've, in spite of your education and your work experience, whatever it may be, you don't have a job even though you're looking hard for one. It's been humiliating. It's been financially stretching for you. And some of you are like, I know that. That's my reality now. Or that was in my reality not long ago. Imagine that. Imagine that in the course of just a few months, you, you actually you end up getting a great job, and you end up impressing your, your bosses at, that, at this new job, and you get a big promotion within just three months of getting this new job after a long time of not having a job. You get a big boost in pay. You get important responsibilities in a field that you're interested in. You went from having little on the horizon next to nothing on the horizon to all of a sudden your horizon being filled with possibilities. Suddenly now you, have a, you don't just have a job, you have a career. You have influence in your workplace. You have financial security. In the course of a few months, you go from one to the other. After service this Sunday, you go down, we go downstairs for the coffee hour, and you come up and you tell me, you want to tell me like, hey, Stephen, I want this exciting update for you about the things that have been going on in my life. And I, hearing all the things you just said, I look at you with a grim face and I say, hmm, that sounds like a really hard trial, brother, dear brother, dear sister. Can I pray for you? You'd be like, what the heck? Be happy for me, man. Like, I just told you a really exciting update. And my reaction would be unwarranted, and I promise I wouldn't actually react that way if this happened in real life. But could it be possible that such a rush of good fortune could be dangerous in any way? This is, as we read the Bible, we see that material security, wealth, can sometimes present a unique trial that's even more dangerous to our souls. In this story, I've heard it put this way, uh, in this story, Ab- Abram and Lot, they face, in, the, in la- the last chapter, in chapter 12, they faced a trial of adversity, where they didn't, it was a time of famine, they didn't have much. In this chapter, they face a trial of prosperity. All of a sudden, they have a lot, and they can't fit in the land anymore, and they have to decide what they're going to do with it. Remember in the, the last chapter uh, where Abram, he's, uh, the famine comes in the land where he had just set up an altar to the Lord, and a- Abram leads Lot and everyone down to Egypt, and they get ensnared. He ensured that he took the, the way to ensure survival in a time of famine. He ensured, he set up his, his wife to look like, a, to be like his sister in the court of Pharaoh as a way to, to make sure that he had good favor in the court. And as a result of these things, Abram and Lot end up becoming spectacularly wealthy, which is what we see at the beginning of the passage we read today. But in Egypt, he got ensnared. Abram and their company, they got stuck there. Uh, he, Abram, he manipulated things in the present in such a way to ensure that God's promises come true according, would come true according to his timeline in the future. And as a result, you know, plagues come upon Egypt. Pharaoh lets Abram and his people go. But along the way, he gains gold, silver, livestock. We see at the beginning of this passage, Lot has flocks, herds, and tents. And now, in the midst of this prosperity, these two, the, the Abram's folks and Lot's folks, they're quarreling. 
because they have so much. So the, the drama in this passage is how is Abram going to respond? Is he going to make the same mistakes he made with Egypt, which is the safe way, the way that leads to being ensnared? Or will he respond a different way? So I want to show you guys the two different responses that these two main characters have to this trial of prosperity. I want to talk about how Abram walks by faith, and then second, talk about how Lot walks by sight. So first, Abram, as I was reminding the kids, and the kids were remembering really well, what are the promises that Abram has been given by God thus far in the, the chapter or so in which we've been acquainted with him? God promises that he would give him a name, that he would give him many descendants. And those two are, the, the, you know, having a name is another way of saying many descendants, that he'll, have a, he'll become a great nation. He also, God also promises that he's going to give him land. And in this passage, in an act of faith, Abram offers up the, he seems to offer up the exact things that God has, off, that God has promised to him. He seems to risk them. He gives up his son. Lot is his nephew, his brother's son. And right in this part of the story, like Lot is the closest thing that Abram has to a son. Uh, he, Abram seems to have like taken Lot in in some ways after, his, after Lot's father Haran died, as we read at the beginning of chapter 12. And we haven't gotten to the point yet in, Abra, in, in Abram's story, if you're familiar with, with the story of, of Abram, later renamed Abraham, where he's talking about how, like, I, you know, I can't have many descendants, I'm old. We haven't even gotten to that section yet. Abram loves, he loves Lot. We don't see that, we, we do see that in this passage, uh, but we see it a lot in the chapters ahead. He, Abram, in later chapters, he's going to go out of his way to rescue Lot. He pleads for, for Lot's safety down in chapter 19, in chapter 18. Yet he's willing to let this son go. He also gives up the land, right? The other promise that God has given him. Abram lets Lot go in a way that risks him picking the land, taking the land away that Abram had been promised by God. So unlike his trip down to Egypt, where Abram insulates himself from risk, here Abram seems to, in a way, in a way of love, in a way of faith, risk the very promises that God had put in front of him. And I would tell you, just like looking at this, 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 this doesn't pass the eye test, right? Like, why in the world would he do this? I don't know if you ever heard that expression, the eye test. It's like, I got some cheese out of my fridge yesterday, some delicious scorpion gouda cheese, and it didn't pass the eye test, folks. I got it out. I didn't even have to proceed to the smell test. Didn't pass the eye test. It was very sad. Like, the, so you look at something, you're like, that doesn't, nope, nope, that's inadequate. Not, that's found wanting. That's not how it should be. No. Uh, Abram's actions here, they don't pass the eye test. He seems to let the promises go. He doesn't manipulate the present to ensure his desired outcome for the future. And we'll see that we saw that he did that in Egypt. Abram did that in Egypt. We're going to see him do that again in the chapters ahead with Hagar and, and trying to secure a line through, through Hagar and, Ish, and with Ishmael. In this chapter, instead, Abram surrenders what is dearest to him, trusting that God's promises for offspring and land will come true, even though the circumstances in front of him suggest everything to the contrary. This is the way of faith. And I'll just say, like, 
here at Liberty, like, we want to be a church who walks in this way, the way of faith. Uh, we'll have more of a fuller announcement about this next week, but here's an example of a way that we as a church, we want to live in the way of faith that doesn't pass the eye test. Uh, next week, we'll have an, we'll, we're going to have an update from our finance team and from our deacons. Uh, we are behind in budget offerings right now, you know. Not, n- not uh, grievously, terribly far behind, but farther behind than we would like to be at this point of the year. And, and we have to be bu- behind budget offerings at a time where we're in the middle of a pastoral transition, in the middle of a growing economic crisis. But we still want to use this season, use Lent, use Holy Week as a time to give money away. So our deacons asked our elders if we could have a Holy Week drive to raise thousands of dollars for our care team fund. So in a time of financial tightness, in a time of uncertainty, our deacons are leading us in this, we want to be sure that we still have funds to, pay our neighbor, to help our neighbors pay their medical bills, fix their houses, pay rent, be able to afford going to counseling. This is the way of faith. Um, we, it, it doesn't pass the eye test, right? Walking in God's way even when it doesn't pass the eye test, when it looks like it may not make sense. This is the kind of church we want to be, following the steps of Abram, the way of faith. Um, Let's look at the opposite. Let's look at the opposite example, where we have Lot walking by the way of sight. Lot picks the way, given the first pick, he picks the way that is visually obvious. He, He makes a choice we all would make, right? There, there are some saints among the kids here who didn't take the first pick of that room on the third floor. Uh, they're better people than I am. In verse 10, it says that, he lifts, that Lot lifts up his eyes, and he beholds the, the, he beholds the valley of the Jordan. That's, it looks like the well-watered garden of the Lord. It's delightful to the eyes. It's beautiful. This is the same way the fruit of the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is described in Genesis 2. It looks like the land of Egypt. Remember where the people just came from in chapter 12, where they got ensnared. It's well irrigated, it's, you know, which means it's famine-proof. It's rich in resources. He goes to, down to the Jordan Valley. And if you were to look at a map of like the land that God is promising to Abram and his descendants, the Jordan Valley is right on the very edge of it, right on the fringe. Lot is trying to have the richest, easiest path while still barely being within the bounds of the land of promise. He's like, if I can walk, this, I'll be this far out on the outside where the path is easy. Perhaps things will go well for me. But such a path, while it does pass the eye test, it ultimately doesn't work for Lot. Um, In Lot's path from here on, it gets only darker. Uh, In verse 12, we see that he's set his tent as far as Sodom. And this passage tells us what to think about Sodom. In verse 13, the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. By chapter 14, by the next chapter, uh, Lot is in Sodom, so he set his tent near Sodom, then he's in Sodom, and he needs to be rescued in chapter 14. And by chapter 19, Lot is in the gateway of Sodom, is what the the text says, which is a way of saying that he's become probably an influential leader in the city. 
and he'll need to be rescued again in chapter 19. Um, and basically, he'll need to be dragged out of the city by angels, basically, um, as, angel, as fire and brimstone consumes the city of Sodom in chapter 19. Um, his path of, of like being at the fringes, uh, taking the easy way, it leads to just more and getting things getting worse and worse and worse, and him being more and more and more imperiled. Faced with a trial by prosperity, Lot lives uh, based on what's pleasing to the eyes. Uh, and though he walks by sight, Lot's journey ultimately ends up in darkness. Walking by sight, interestingly, at the end, results in spiritual blindness, results in disaster. Do you see how this, how Lot's story, how it's a parable that confronts us? Here's what it means. It means that taking the normal, easy, expected way in this life, the ways that those in the world around us would look and be like, wouldn't even ask questions because it's just so assumed that that's the way to go. That way, by default, is actually the path that leads to spiritual darkness. The path to Sodom, the path to hell, is a well-worn path. It's the culturally approved path is what this story is teaching. And let's not forget that Abram took a version of that path in the last chapter, right? In so many ways, he's no better than Lot taking this this path of sight. How does God respond at the end of this passage? He responds by doubling down on his promises to Abram after Abram has opened his hand and let Lot go and risked letting the land go. Uh, he doubles down. He, you know, remember, Lot lifted up his own eyes. The, the, this text says that God lifts Abram's eyes up. God asks Abram to lift up his eyes. He reaffirms the, uh, the promises for land and offspring. He has Abram actually walk around the land, and he has these very dusty promises, like land-like promises. Like, as much as you see will, will, will be yours, they'll belong to your offspring. And he says, like, your, your offspring will be like the dust of the earth, more than you can count. The very things that Abram put on the line in faithfulness are the very things that God ends by saying, you will one day be given them. Some takeaway points for you all. To the Abrams in the room, um, those of you who are here and you're, maybe you're weary because you've been seeking to follow Jesus this week, you feel like you've been giving things up, Remember that you're no better than the lots. Perhaps this week you feel like you maybe identify more with Abram in this story. But do you remember how you went down to Egypt last week? Jesus died for you too. We're faithful because he is faithful. We have faith because he gives it to us 100% of the time. The encouragement I would have for you. Every single thing that we offer to God in this life will, in the fullness of time, be absolutely worth it. That's what this story says. Every tear that we shed in prayer for those whom we love, every cent that we give, every hour that we spend being hospitable, 
every interaction that we have with our neighbors, seeking to love them and listen to them. Every night where you're home and you wish you were doing something else, but you're home alone. Every bedtime we do for our kids. Every time we risk our reputation in a conversation by not being ashamed to have the name of Jesus on our lips. The Hittites to bury his wife. The Hittites to bury his wife. That's basically all he has. But because of Christ, in Christ, Abram's labors are not in vain. And he's this lifted up, exalted hero as, we, as you keep going left to right in your Bibles. And God's prepared for him a city. That's what I told the kids, right? That's what it says in the book of Hebrews. To those who, who, who work in faith, who wait for God in faith, He's preparing for them a city. To the lots in the room. Um, to those of you who, and you can identify, feel like you're identifying with both of these this morning too, with both Abram and Lot. To the lots. To those who are straddling as close to the line as you can without being outside it. To those of you who, if you looked yourself in the mirror this, this morning, and you set aside all self-deception. You would look at yourself and say, yeah, I am compromising in my walk with Christ because I don't want to follow him with this. If that's you this morning. I could warn you, right? I've done that before. But Lot's story is warning enough. I'm not going to do any more of that this morning. Actually, I want to share some good news with you. Jesus died for you. Jesus loves you. Jesus wants you to walk in the way of faithfulness. Not to prove yourself, but because he loves you. Like, to those of you who feel this particular characterization hitting you, like, there's no one in this room who's better, th- better than you. Like, we've all been there. And at the same time, no one in this room is worse than you either. Um, the table that we're going to come to is for those of us who remember that, that we are the worst of all sinners. And if you identify as a lot in this passage, barely at the edge, I would invite you to come and receive this thing that we call grace. Grace, which is, is, is us remembering that ultimately we're all lots until Jesus reroutes us back into the land of promise. That we're, we're like Lot in chapter 19, needing to be dragged out of the city of Sodom. That we've made compromises to the point of being fully compromised. And yet God in His grace loves us so much that He sends His Son into, into the city to drag us out, to bring us into the life of faith and promise. This is the life of faith, never forgetting grace, never getting over it, living by it every step of the way. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.